Chapter 14 of Dog Watches at Sea This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Watches at Sea by Stanton H. King Chapter 14 a three years cruise the alliance was a third-rate corvette bark rigged with single topsail yards she was armed with four nine-inch smooth-bore guns of the old-fashioned muzzle-loading order one muzzle-loading eight-inch rifle and a rifled sixty-pounder on the forecastle head Aside from the regular complement of officers and blue jackets, she raided a guard of marines officered by Lieutenant Allen C. Kelton. It was Sunday evening when we arrived on board. During the few moments remaining before sunset, I roamed around the decks, making myself familiar with the ship and forming acquaintances among the men. At five o'clock we were piped to supper. At the first toot of the whistle, every man made a dash for the berth deck. This was a small space extending from the forward end of the fire room to the bulkhead of the sick bay. Here the whole crew messed. The place was too small to admit the use of mess tables, so each mess had a painted piece of canvas called a mess cloth, which was spread on deck and the pots and pans placed on the outer edges the big pan of hash or meat or whatever it might be was placed in the centre of the cloth and as the men were piped to supper each took a pan and pot and helped himself then the man moved to some part of the berth deck where he could find a seat or perhaps he might take his pan on to the spar deck and finding a seat on his ditty-box, eat his meal. I owned a ditty-box. Indeed, a man-o'-war's man would feel lonesome without one, for here he keeps his sewing-gear and his pipe and tobacco. It is everything to him. As soon as I had prunes and bread enough and a pot of tea, I made for the spar-deck, found my ditty-box, and seated myself on the top of the Tagallant forecastle, No sooner was I seated than the captain of the forecastle greeted me with, What part of the ship do you belong to? Maintop, I replied. Well, look here, sonny, you must eat your grub in the starboard gangway where you belong. Don't come up here and spill your grease on this deck. I'm not spilling any grease. Well, don't eat up here anyway. I now learned that the men, when not on duty, were supposed to loaf in their own parts of the ship, the forecastle men on the top and under the Tagallant forecastle, the foretap men in the port gangway and the main top men in the starboard, the afterguards, idlers, and marines wherever they could find a congenial spot. At sunset the drummer rolled off. The bugler sounded colors, while the boatswain's mates trilled their whistles and yelled, Stand by your hammocks. 
all hands mustered to the side of the ship to receive them my hammock hooks were on the starboard side of the berth deck as i was a main top man when i got below i found the berth deck crowded with hammocks packed as closely as sardines in a box i hunted for hook two hundred and sixty-four and found that to have room in which to sleep i was forced to sling my hammock under those on each side of me though a cramped position in which to sleep i soon became used to it the tagallant and royal yards were in the lower rigging so next morning i went aloft with my opposite number in the starboard watch and eagerly examined the gear and made everything ready for receiving the yards at eight o'clock at half-past seven the executive officer took the deck a few minutes before eight all hands were called to cross to gallant and royal yards at the command light yard men aloft i made my way up as nimbly as anyone without a hitch the main to-gallant yard was rigged as quickly as any of the others. Puffing and blowing, I was in the cross-trees as soon as my opposite number, and was kept to-gallant yard man the whole of the cruise. I had been on the Alliance two days when Bill Reed, captain of the hold, came off liberty half-drunk. Lieutenant L.K. Reynolds had the deck, and had given orders to the master-at-arms not to allow him any beer. A bumboat woman supplied the ship with bottled beer. A half-hour before meals, the master-at-arms, or ship's corporal, stood near the boxes to see that we drank only our allowance, a bottle before each meal. I had begun to drink mine when Reed asked me for a swallow not knowing that his beer was restricted i handed him the bottle the master-at-arms quickly took it from him and ordered me to the mast lieutenant reynolds put my name on the report when brought before commander mcgregor he sentenced me to be put on the fifth-class conduct list which meant no liberty for three months i felt severely wronged and made up my mind to take liberty whenever i had opportunity which i did both in norfolk and new york i secretly left the ship and returned without having been missed i took a dislike to the master-at-arms and during the whole cruise he was my evil genius he watched every chance to report against me but my day came when stripped of his brass buttons i clinched with him on an equal footing and whipped him we remained in norfolk most of the summer and then sailed to newport rhode island to adjust our compasses before starting on our cruise previous to our departure we called at the brooklyn navy yard to receive our stores and to assemble at anchor in the bay with other warships on the occasion of the lighting of the statue of liberty all the ships at the navy yard of all grades and classes from the old minnesota to the smallest tugboat were assembled beautifully dressed in bunting the whole harbor presented a grand and brilliant display of flags in the afternoon the u s s dolphin 
bearing the president of the united states and the secretary of the navy was steaming in towards the anchorage as she passed the first ship a storm of artillery fire greeted her gun after gun in rapid succession sounded one prolonged roar at this moment the yards of all the ships were manned lifelines reached from the lifts to the ties so that we could stand on the yards and touch each other's hands in this exalted position i watched the course of our honored guest a few days after this we cast off our lines from the cob dock the steam hissed the engines groaned and the propeller stirred a lather of foam under the stern and the alliance started on a three years cruise assigned to the south atlantic station gradually we glided towards standy hook and an hour after we crossed the bar we spread our canvas to the soft westerly breeze moving to the eastward we took our last lingering look at the land disappearing beneath the horizon it would have been a matter of forty or fifty days for us to reach rio and report to the flagship of the station but we were detailed to do a special work on our way the captain of a whaling schooner had sold his vessel to a dr wilson who lived on the island of johanna one of the comoros in the northern end of the mozambique channel we were ordered to proceed through the suez canal and search for this schooner therefore it was fully nine months before we sailed round the cape of good hope on our way to south america on the fourth day out we were well into the gulf stream the westerly breeze increased to a moderate gale with a choppy sea several of the crew landsmen and marines who had never before been out of sight of land afforded much amusement to the seasoned tars we tossed and plunged rolled and heaved causing the seasick joskins to be unutterably miserable strange gymnastic performances took place on the berth deck the seasick fellows stowed themselves in every secluded corner and envied us as we tumbled and scrambled after the dishes running away with the spoons until they gained their sea legs stanchions and bulwarks were hugged most affectionately a cold and cheerless rain set in which converted the clean pleasant though small berth deck into a very disagreeable abiding place every man not on duty retreated into the regions below glad to find shelter at seven bells the time to lay the mess cloths it was an effort for jimmy legs and his corporal to chase the crowd on deck to make room for the mess cooks the first evening of the bad weather the t'gallant sails were stowed and the topsails single reefed as we manned the halyards to sway up the main topsail yard i let off on an old deep-water chanty a long time ago a few sailing-ship sailors joined in the refrain we had sung one verse when the officer of the deck 
lieutenant hanson tyler got hold of me by the shoulders here what do you mean where do you think you are i thought sir it would make the yard fly aloft to sing a long time ago well we don't have shanties in the navy the boatswain's mate whistle will do all that let it be a long time ago before you sing another we sailed into favorable weather and the days flew by there is not much variety on a man-o-war at sea each day has its exercises and every hour its duties the calls are as regular and the movements as sure as though we were all parts of one great machine instead of one man on the forecastle head to keep the lookout there were fully half a dozen stations at night with all sails set at the stroke of the bell every half hour the lookout on the starboard side of the forecastle head shouted starboard cathead bright light then the next man port cathead bright light the royal set the men stationed at the halyards would continue the solemn sound four royal halyards main royal halyards at last the marine at the life buoy hanging over the taffrail aft ended with life buoy all's well so long as we had neither a wheel a station at the halyards nor a lookout we might snooze away our watch on deck on the soft side of a deck plank the caterer of the petty officer's mess was dissatisfied with the mess cook he offered me two government rations eighteen dollars a month if i would take charge of the mess and endeavor to give satisfaction instead of drawing the food for all the men the paymaster of the ship gave in money the value of one ration for every fifth man thus there were twenty-four men in the petty officers mess the caterer received the money for five and drew provisions for the remaining nineteen with the two dollars a month which each man chipped in and the five rations forty-five dollars the caterer could afford to pay me the value of two rations and have enough money to purchase from the shore potatoes milk and dainties for his men i accepted the call to go forth on the berth deck my good friend yank peterson captain of the maintop grumbled a little and disapproved of my leaving the deck but was pacified when i told him i would still run his tagallant yard when in port on the berth deck i was under the eye of the master at arms i kept the mess clean so that at inspection he could find no cause for complaint we must have been out about two weeks when we sighted the azores and came to anchor in fayal harbor here we cold proceeded on to sea and within another week were in sight of the coast of spain one fine morning we entered the straits of gibraltar through which the wind raged as through a pair of giant bellows and anchored in the bay at the foot of the great towering fortress 
During our few days' stay here, the men on the first-class conduct list were given sunset liberty. I had heard much about the rock, but now, because of the meanness of the master-at-arms report against me in Norfolk, I could not have liberty with the others. The caterers were allowed on shore to purchase stores for their messes. My stores came, and I began to empty a sack of flour. The caterer seemed disturbed and tried to hinder me. Jimmy Legg's suspicions were aroused, and he took hold of the flour bag and emptied it. No wonder the caterer was anxious, for packed in the flour were two bottles of liquor and a square face of gin. We were both ordered to the mast. We pleaded ignorance. We did not know the liquor was there. Probably the merchant was making it a present to the men. Oh, yes, said Captain McGregor in a sarcastic tone. I know these dagos are very generous. But as nothing could be proven against us, we were dismissed, and the liquor emptied over the side. In a few days we were on our way to Malta. Togerson, a sailor in the forecastle, was a good man, although ridiculed and buffeted by almost everybody, called Holy Joe and the Psalm Singer, yet he was morally strong enough to withstand it all. By his sweet patient spirit and Christian life, he not only made two converts, but also gained the respect of the whole crew. The forenoon we made the island of Malta, these three professing Christians were by the fife rail around the foremast, reading the story of Paul's shipwreck. I became interested, especially when Togerson explained that this was the place where the wreck occurred. Boldly and fearlessly, these three knelt in prayer and gave thanks for being allowed to see this land. As we drew near the famous old roadstead, with its numerous, impregnable, and formidable fortresses and batteries, we could see the vessels at anchor in the bay. We passed the entrance to the harbor of Valletta, and shortly afterward moored near the English ironclad squadron. Soon we were surrounded with boats loaded with birds, silks, bird feathers, and curios of all kinds. At dinner time, our deck was like an oriental street, for the Arabs spread out their wares on both sides of the deck to tempt the eyes of the seamen. The war vessels are the life and business of the place, creating sufficient trade to atone for days of stagnation. The peddlers work like bees in summer to provide for times of inactivity. Merchants in all seaports pray earnestly for the arrival of a war vessel or squadron. Each man had two hammocks. Once a month the clean ones were brought on deck at evening quarters, and each division officer had them served to his men. The following morning the dirty hammocks were scrubbed and hung on the clothesline to dry. When the boatswain's mates pipe, stand by your scrubbed hammocks, the men get on deck to remove them from the line, taking care to keep them clean so that they will pass inspection at evening quarters. We scrubbed our hammocks in Malta, 
That day I reached first-class conduct list, so my name was on the liberty list to leave the ship at five o'clock. At about three we were called to stand by our scrubbed hammocks. Now during the day several men had bought liquor from the Arabs. I purchased a plentiful supply. The berth-deck cooks had been washing the white paint on their deck. My blue suit was besmeared with soap suds. In this filthy state I hurriedly reached the port side of the quarter-deck where above me on the line my scrubbed hammock was hung to dry. Unfortunately, the first lieutenant saw me. King, what do you mean by coming here so dirty-looking? At any other time, I would have held my peace and sneaked quickly forward. Indeed, had I been in my right mind, I would not have gone aft in that condition. But the Arabs, firewater, had control of me. I sullenly replied, do you suppose I can scrub paint on the berth deck and be as clean as you are? Before I could take a half dozen steps, he shouted, Master at arms, bring King to the mast. Here he saw that it was liquor which made me insolent. Turning to the ship's writer, he said, Isn't King on the liberty list? Yes, sir. Take his name off and put his name on the report for being untidy around the decks. I had tried hard to gain the first-class conduct list. Now I was on the report. This meant a reduction of class conduct which would prevent my visiting the shores of Malta. I walked forward and motioned to a Maltese boatman to haul under the forechains. Throwing a rope's end over the side, I slid down to the boat and concealed myself under the bow. Halfway to the shore, the miserable Maltese wanted me to pay him a sovereign. After making him understand that I would stand up, hail the ship, and have him arrested for conveying me to shore in this clandestine manner, he continued sculling and landed me for five shillings. Now I was surrounded on all sides by the beggars of the town. They seemed to earn a living merely by following strangers all day and begging from them in their peculiar dialect. This is based on the Arabic, mixed with plenty of French, Italian, and English. I met several of my shipmates who were overstaying their liberty and with them enjoyed the sights of the city. During three days on shore I was in constant fear of arrest, as the captain had offered ten dollars each for the capture of several men breaking their liberty. On the second day, to escape the eyes of a policeman who had been watching me, I kept with a few blue jackets and marines who had just come on liberty. This little company were the total abstainers of the ship. Having no desire to frequent the dives, they made their way to the better part of the town. At first I thought they did not care for my company, but one of them locked arms with me, and away we went to St. John's Cathedral. This is the principal temple of the Knights of Malta, and decidedly the most interesting spot on the island. 
we entered the many chapels of the knights with their numerous superb mausoleums of grand masters these of bronze copper and marble all manifest the highest perfection of art at every corner we were besieged by the maltese guides who caused us much annoyance and it took all our efforts to rid ourselves of their companionship the next day a policeman saw me as i was leaving the door of a house in the lower district stopped me and began to examine my hands and face the tattooed marks on my hands and arms satisfied him and he placed the irons on my wrists and walked me to the station house sure enough i answered the descriptive list they had of me with three others who had been arrested for overstaying their liberty i was rowed off to the alliance on reaching the deck the two policemen were paid the rewards of ten dollars for each man which sum was charged to our accounts we were put below on the berth deck under the sentry's charge next morning when the delinquents were brought to the mast commander mcgregor ordered my case tried by a summary court-martial again i was put under the sentry's charge and four days after ensign eaton handed me a copy of the specifications and charges in due time i was tried by a court of our officers held in the cabin on the tenth day the boatswain's mate's whistles blew and the call came all hands to muster every officer and enlisted man mustered aft on the quarter-deck while the master-at-arms walked me along to the mainmast here the executive officer in the presence of the commanding officer and the whole crew read the following specifications and charges and the sentence of the court he began specification of offences preferred by commander mcgregor commanding u s s alliance against stanton h king ordinary seaman u s navy specification in that said stanton h king an ordinary seaman in the united states navy attached to and serving on board the u s s alliance in the harbor of valletta malta did on the day of eighteen hundred and eighty six without permission leave the same said ship approved mcgregor commander u s navy commanding u s s alliance after reading the specification the executive officer continued the court finds the specification proved the court does therefore sentence him the said stanton h king ordinary seaman u s navy to the following punishment solitary confinement in double irons on bread and water for thirty days with full ration every fifth day to perform extra police duties for one month and to lose thirty days pay amounting to nineteen dollars the proceedings and sentence in the case of stanton h king ordinary seaman u s navy are approved 
that part of the sentence which involves loss of pay is respectfully referred to the honorable secretary of the navy mcgregor commander u s navy commanding u s s alliance here let me say that to all such loss of pay the honorable secretary of the navy always gave his approval the executive officer then gave the order to pipe down and for the master-at-arms to carry out the sentence once more on the berth deck the irons were fastened on my wrists and ankles and i was locked in the brig to begin my punishment End of chapter fourteen